Amen. Hope you everybody's doing good this morning. As we come to the Thanksgiving time of year, let me remind you that three weeks from today is our Christmas musical. Our choir will be presenting it on Sunday morning. And so it's still time for you to get involved in it if you want to. How many singers out there have not joined yet? That's not very many. <laughs> There's still room, though. We need, we need you up there. And so come on out at 445 this afternoon. You don't even have to be a singer. I mean, they even let me up there. And so just, uh, but come on up and join us. And it's a great musical we're going to put on and just a, a cantata putting it on. And so keep that in mind. And also tonight we will resume our Revelation study at 6 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. We're going through the book of Revelation, and we've had several detours and so forth because of different things come up. Last week we fixed the shoeboxes, and so we'll get back on it. But this time of year, we're going to have some delays. It may take us five years to get through this book, but we're going to get there one of these days. But anyway, but this is Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving week at least. And one of the hardest things for me is to get special day sermons. It just, it just, it's just hard for me. I mean, because just like Christmas, what more can you say about Christmas that hadn't already been said? And it just, I can't, it's just hard for me to come up with one, but today we're looking at Thanksgiving. If you will, turn with me to Psalms chapter 100. I don't know if your Bible has it or not, but in my Bible it says a psalm of Thanksgiving. So that was a good hint. I might need to use this one. And so that's what we're going to look at today. If you will, when you find that, Psalms chapter 100, would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word? together. And by the way, when we're finished, just keep holding that place because we will go back and forth to it a lot today. It begins, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. <clears throat> Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures for all generations. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage you've given us today, the Psalms that was penned so many years ago, but yet, Lord, has relevance today to each and every one of us, especially this time of year as we come into the holiday season, the Thanksgiving with this coming week. And we just just ask you to just guide us and let us be a thankful people in so many ways. Lord, go with us through these next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the most beautiful psalms of Thanksgiving is the one we just read. With all of my heart, I believe that we are a people and a nation that has truly been blessed by God. I know we've got a lot of problems in our country right now and have had for many years. But nonetheless, out of all those people, give thanks to him and praise his names. We should be at the top of the list. I mean, we, are, we have the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And yes, we have many problems. Don't mean to minimize those, but at the same time, God has blessed this nation more than any country ever existed. It's not uncommon to compile a wish list at Christmas and to draw up a list of resolutions for the New Year's. But there's another list we often overlook. 
And that's a Thanksgiving Day list for which we're thankful for. Have you thought about what you're thankful for as we come into the Thanksgiving season? I ran across a list, a Thanksgiving Day list, and it was made by several wives. And so I'm going to share this with you. Here's what some of them said, and I don't know who wrote this. It's a Thanksgiving Day list made by wives. The first one says, I'm thankful for automatic dishwashers because they make it possible for us to get out of the kitchen before the family comes back in for their after-dinner snacks. The next one says, I'm thankful for husbands who attach small repair jobs around the house because they usually make them into such of a large job we have to call a professional to repair it right. My wife must have sent that one in. <laughs> Another one says, I'm thankful for children who put away their things and clean up after themselves. There's such a joy you hate to see them go home to their own parents. Another one writes, for teen- I'm thankful for teenagers because they give parents an opportunity to learn a second language. I'm not going to explore that one. I don't know what it is. but And last, this lady writes, I'm thankful for smoke detectors because they let you know when the turkey's done. So, so I don't know how true those are, but nonetheless, they're quite comical anyway. But now our list might not be the same as theirs, but I'm convinced that if we began to make a list of things that we were thankful for, we would find in each one of our lives that we have more to be thankful for than we realize. Number one, this great nation we live in, with all of its flaws, I understand that, with all of the weaknesses and all the problems that we have, I don't believe there's a place on earth I'd rather live than right here in this United States of America. Like you, I'm sure that my list would include something like this, the major things like life and health and family and friends, the nation we live in, despite all the flaws again. But even more than that, I'm thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful for our church family and the mercy that God showers upon us each and every day of our lives. With Jesus, we have so much to celebrate at Thanksgiving, if you think about it. I mean, we have so much to be thankful for. And 99.9% of it all depends on one person, Jesus Christ. We have a lot to be thankful for. But has it ever occurred to you that no Americans were more underprivileged than that small group of people that came with the Mayflower who started the custom of setting aside a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God many years ago? When the Mayflower landed and those people got out, think about it. They had no homes, no government to help them build homes. They were more underprivileged than anybody that we've ever seen. I mean, they got here with nothing. They had to do everything. They had no homes, no government agency to help them build homes as we do today. They had no means of transportation other than their legs. Their only food came from the sea and the forest, and they had to go out and get it themselves. They had no money. And, of course, they had no place to spend it if they did have any money. They had no amusement except what they made for themselves. No means of communication with relatives back in the 
home country, no Social Security, no Medicare, no health care of any type, but anyone who dared call them underprivileged would probably be locked in the stocks of that town because they didn't consider themselves that way. In fact, they did have four of the greatest privileges you can have on the face of the earth. Four of the greatest human assets. They had initiative. They had courage. They had a willingness to work. But they also had a boundless faith in God. That's how this nation got started, by that handful of people. There wasn't very many of them. And they came to this country. They left everything they had over there, families and friends and loved ones, homes, and came to this place. It wasn't even called America at the time. And they began a project of building a country. And because of their commitment, that's where we are today. And like I say, I know our nation's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I believe it's been God-blessed all the years. We've been called in years past a godly nation, a Christian nation. And I believe that was right. I don't know if I can say that completely anymore. In fact, it was just a few years ago that President Obama said we're no longer a Christian nation. And as much as we hate to admit it, he told the truth. We are not a Christian nation as such anymore. We still have a lot of Christians in the nation. But the sad part of that is that most of the time the Christians don't stand up and do anything. We've been blessed tremendously. Even in our day we're blessed. Our forefathers had a boundless faith in God. That almost sounds strange today in a time where powerful forces are at work in our nation to strip us of every reminder of the foundation of this nation. But this nation was built upon the thought that God was in control of this project. One nation under God. Our Declaration of Independence proclaims, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. And it ends with these words, With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That's in our Declaration of Independence. Have you ever noticed that Thanksgiving Day is a unique holiday? It doesn't commemorate a great battle that was fought. It doesn't mark. Miss Luann, reach around there and pop him on the head, would you? So. <laughs> I'd, I'd be fine. <laughs> I started to read the, the proclamation of George Washington. By the way, you can go online and see this in its entirety. This is just a short part of it. But listen to these words that George Washington made in 1789 by this public proclamation about Thanksgiving. By the President of the United States of America, a proclamation, <clears throat> whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and to implore His protection and favor, 
And whereas both houses of Congress, just swap out. Here we go. Now we're back. Now let me figure out why I was at. Whereas both houses of Congress, did you hear, by the way, did you catch that? Both houses of Congress agreed on something. This must have been the last time they ever agreed on anything. But nonetheless, both houses of Congress agreed, have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by, the, by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. Go look it up on the Internet. It's very long, but it's, it's worth a read. It's, called, it's uh, President uh, uh, George Washington's Proclamation of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Proclamation. And it continues. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all good that was, that is, and that will be. And that's part of the first proclamation for Thanksgiving. Today our nation will pause this week and once again to give thanks. But I'm sorry, but as you know as I do, probably more houses will make it a time to festive drinking, alcohol, and other things instead of making it praise to God. But can you imagine our first settlers, our first colonials, whatever, you know, what do we call them, that had this day? They're the ones that set aside a day. Now, they begin with nothing. I mean, all they had is what they carried off that ship on the shore. They had no houses. They had no medical facilities. They had nothing other than what they carried with them. And that couldn't have been a whole lot. And they began this work to build this nation. That was some tough people, folks. That was a, some tough times. One would assume that because of the example of our forefathers and because we today have so much that we would be extremely thankful people. But that's not the case. It's often just the opposite. The more we get, the less thankful we are for what we have. And to maintain an attitude of gratitude has almost slipped away in our world. I think that the 100th Psalm was written to deal with that attitude, to remind us of our need to be thankful, to maintain an attitude of gratitude. The basis for our thanksgiving. The 100th Psalm was written for a people, for the people of Israel. God said to them, When you come into the promised land and settle down in your warm, comfortable houses and you have plenty to eat, don't forget me. And I'm afraid we live in a time when the United States, most people have forgotten God. Even a lot of so-called Christian people. We'll meet Thursday. You'll have a big turkey on the, or a ham or, or both probably. And you'll have all these family members and outlaws and in-laws gathered around. But do we take time to really be thankful for what God's given us? 
I led you out of the wilderness. I brought you into the land flowing with milk and honey, God told them. But it doesn't take very long to realize that the people of Israel needed a reminder, and I'm afraid that we need a reminder also. Maybe God has us in mind when this psalm was written. I don't know. Did you notice to whom it's addressed? The very first verse that's addressed to is all the earth. That includes every one of us. All the earth should be thankful. The last verse of this passage, verse 5, says all generations. So that covers since the day it began to the day itself. It covers all generations. What's God saying to us? That you ought to be thankful for the blessings you have, for what God's given us, what God's allowed us to do. It's sad that the only country in the world, except for Canada and the Philippines, excuse me, as far as I know now, the last time I checked this was true, that the only three nations in the world that has a Thanksgiving Day. I wonder how our world would be changed if each country in the world would pause and give thanks to God one time a year. Now, I know that's not going to happen because all nations are not Christian nations. All that don't believe in the God that we believe in. But can you imagine the difference it would make in our world if the world leaders would come together and have a conference and glorify God that's in charge of everything? Now, again, that's not going to happen. You know it. I know it. It's not going to take place. In fact, it's hard enough just to get Christians to do that. I think also there's a real danger in this season of determining Thanksgiving on the basis of how much we have. Most of us are thankful when we look at how much we have. That's not what God says to us. He doesn't say, look at how much you've got and be thankful. He says, be thankful for everything you've got. Every little detail. I think there's something about giving thanks to God that breaks down barriers between people and brings about a unity much like that occurred as the Berlin Wall fell what was it, back in 1988, if I remember right, somewhere in that area? I remember watching on TV. If I recall, I believe President Reagan was still the president at the time, wasn't he? Isn't that, is that right? Okay. I, that's back when I was four years old. So it just, you know, that's my, uh, but it, it just, uh, it, I don't have that good of memory anymore. But anyway, it's, I remember watching that on TV as that wall began to crumble. They took those sledgehammer and began to break that wall down. And there was cheering, and people saw people and got to talk to people and hug people that they hadn't seen in years because of that wall between them. And it was sort of a unity growing factor. And it just You couldn't help but get inspired of watching that. And you saw people come together that had been separated for, I don't know, 40 years, 50 years? I'm not sure what it was. A long time. People that lived in the same city. Just across the wall they could... See each other but couldn't touch. Just imagine if you were a child and your parents lived on the other side of that wall or vice versa. Imagine the parents and their teenagers on the other side of the wall. And what a joy it was when that wall came down. Do I have enough turkey for Thursday to sufficiently gorge myself? And we let these things determine whether we're thankful or we're not thankful. 
well, I don't have a turkey big enough to serve my family. I'm not very thankful this year. The psalmist says that all these things may change in time. They may drift away or burn up or someone may steal them. The only thing we have for sure is our relationship with God. That's what the 100th Psalms emphasizes over and over. Just scan the psalm. In verse 1, you'll find the name of the Lord. In verse 2, you'll find the name of the Lord. In verse 3, you'll find the name of the Lord. In verse 4, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. In verse 5, you'll find the name of the Lord. And in verse 5, you'll also find the name of the Lord. Do you get the idea that God's trying to tell us something? Hey, I'm in charge of this show. If you just do it my way. The basis of thanksgiving is what he's trying to say is the Lord God. That's why we ought to be thankful. I read a story just recently about Alex Haley, the author of Root some years ago. The story says that he had an unusual picture hanging on his office wall. It was a picture of a turtle on top of a fence post. When asked why it's there, Alex Haley would answer, Every time I write something significant, every time I read my own words and think they're pretty wonderful, and begin to feel so proud of myself, I look at that turtle on top of that fence post, and I'm reminded he didn't get there by himself. And neither did any one of us. Somebody had to help us along the way for something. Just like that turtle, somebody had to pick that turtle up and put him on that fence post. I don't know what he did to get down. That's another story. But, but yet, as Alex Haley said, that reminded him that every one of us has to have help to get to the top of where we're trying to go. That's the basis of thankfulness, to remember that we got here with the help of God. And he is the provider of every blessing that we have this uh, Easter Thanksgiving season. <laughs> I told you I don't do holidays good. <laughs> it wasn't that funny, Miss Sharon. <laughs> I just messed up, okay? <laughs> Let me give you five Thanksgiving commands in this passage. As we look more carefully at this psalm, we find there's a series of five commands given to each one of us. The first command is in verse 1. It tells us, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. That's a command. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Now, we're part of the earth. So guess who that commands to? It means to shout with a force of a trumpet blast. A shout of joy to the Lord that comes from the very depths of our soul. Maybe being, maybe he solved your problem. Maybe he's given you direction to go. Maybe he's provided you with a blessing just recently. And you realize that it came from God. So from the depths of your being, he says, proclaim that praise. That's what the psalmist is saying to us. Suddenly you realize that God has been so good that you, that you can't keep it quiet inside anymore. You've got to share it. You've got to tell somebody, guess what God did for me? From the depths of your being, you shout for joy. 
unto the Lord. The second command he gives us in this passage, it says, serve the Lord with gladness. It doesn't say serve the church. It doesn't say serve the preacher. It doesn't say serve the leaders. It doesn't even say serve this organization. It says serve the Lord. There's a big difference there. We need to serve Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that if we witness on behalf of the Lord, if we feed the hungry, if we clothe the naked, if we do the work of the Lord, whatever it might be, we're serving the Lord and doing that. Jesus himself said, Inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. So every time that you stop along the highway and hand one of those homeless veterans $5 or whatever it may be, Jesus says, you're serving me that time. And I, you know, of course, I've only been there a few years, but I'm going to be honest with you, I have never seen so many homeless people in my life. The churches we've been, I've just never seen them. I think I've shared before that it's not uncommon every week to have somebody stop, call in, at least call in, and need help. We can't help every one of them. We try to do what we can, but we're not a wealthy church. But, I mean, it's almost daily. And some weeks I think it is daily. And some of them have some tremendous needs. But yet, what can we do? What can we do to help people? We can be kind to them. We can offer them something, perhaps, a little bit to offset. It's natural for us to desire appreciation when we do something that's worthwhile. But the psalmist says, in whatever you do, serve the Lord. Don't do it for appreciation. Don't do it for that pat on the back. Don't do it so you'll be recognized. Do it for the Lord. The third commandment he gives us, come before him with joyful songs. Another passage says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now that I can do. I can make a joyful noise. I don't know about the singing part, but I can, I can make a joyful noise. Have you ever noticed that in these three commands, God has said, I want you to be happy. Shout with joy. Serve with gladness. And come, into, come with joyful songs. You get the idea he tells us as we come to worship him, it ought to be an enjoyable atmosphere. One of these days, if I can figure out a way to do it, I'm going to reverse this congregation. I'm going to sit out there, and y'all get to watch. I mean, sometimes people come in. and Now, I'm not talking about any of y'all. I know that y'all don't ever do that, but I'm just saying it does happen. Is that serving with gladness, really? We need to check our attitude at the front door when we walk in. You know, I've, I've said a hundred times, probably continue to say it, what we really ought to do is move the altar of the church outside these steps, outside the doors. That way, when you walk into the church, before you walk in, you bow down at the altar and pray, God, clean me up before I walk in this building. Can you imagine the difference if we could do that? And we can't do it, obviously. But can you imagine the difference if each one of us would spend time with God before we came to church and get the right attitude so when we walked into church we'd have the attitude of serving God? Can you imagine the difference it'd be? Probably in a very short time our church couldn't hold all the people that would be brought in. 
because we would have a servant's attitude. Have you noticed? I want you to be happy. Shout with joy. Serve with gladness. Come with a joyful songs. Now take a moment and just think about yourself and people sitting around you. Don't run, turn around and look at them because I don't know who you're look, looking at. Do they look happy, really? A lot of Christians come to church, and you know what we're thinking about? Oh, the bad week I had at work last week. I mean, you just won't believe what happened to me. Yesterday I was down at Walmart, and you won't believe it's what this checkout guy did. I mean, he just he just was hateful to me. We all come with that garbage from last week, and we let it be what we look like. And sometimes it affects the way we look, but it also stops God from blessing us. When we have a negative spirit, God says, what's the point? I can't get through that. The psalmist says, come before him and serve him and sing praises with joy in your heart. Command number four, know that the Lord is God and He, it is he who made us and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. God took every bone, every joint, he welded them together with sinews and muscles and covered them with skin and gave us eyes that see, brains that think, well, some people, but fingers that can pick up things. God made us inside and out. He made you the way he wanted you to be. He made me the way he wanted me to be. Now, as I thought about this this week, that's a mystery to me. I don't quite understand God in a lot of ways. But somehow in God's providence, he decided that he wanted a, a young man that had no skills, knew nothing about him, had no background, if you will, had nothing that would qualify him to be a pastor of a church, and yet God called him out of his arrogance, and his lie, and begin to work on him. By the way, he's not finished yet, I promise you. In fact, if I'll have to live 125 years old to get even close to the finish line. But God made you what he wants you to be. He made me what he wants me to be. It wasn't what I wanted to be, but God had a better design. He had something in mind. But God took the time to make you special to give you the abilities you've got, to give you the talents that you have to be used in His work, to be used in the church, to be used with people. And God did that for every single one of us. You see, God made you the way He wants you to be. Well, why couldn't I have been born into a family like Donald Trump's family? Now, I've been a good millionaire son. But God didn't use that for me. Why couldn't I have been born with talents? Why couldn't I have been born with this? That's the way we look at it. But God says, no, I made you just the way I wanted you. Exactly. God don't make no junk, folks. He made us everyone exactly as he wants us to be. He made me someplace along the line. He had you in mind, and he made you. You may not like particularly how he did it, but guess what? That's exactly what God wants you to be like. He gave you a personality that you can win over people. He gave you abilities. 
He gave you a mind to think and all these other things. But guess what? He's still making each one of us. He's not finished with any of us yet. That's important too. He's not satisfied with the unfinished product. I told you he's still got a long way to go on me. He's not satisfied with perhaps your temper. He's not satisfied with those weak areas of your life. He's not satisfied with how we give in to temptation sometimes, perhaps. He's still making us. He's still working on us. God is your maker, and you're created in His image. Therefore, give Him thanks for who you are. You say, but I could be so much more if God were just giving me a different size body. No, you wouldn't. You'd still be the same person inside. We always want to look for something better than what I have. But think about it. The God of creation that designed those beautiful clouds that float over, that made these mountain ranges we can see pictures of and how gorgeous and beautiful they are, and made Texas and so much beautiful than all the rest of the country. I, I, that's, that's, I know I'd get some somewhere. So. I mean, God made that for a reason. And God doesn't make no junk. He made it exactly like He meant to make you. God is your maker, and you're created in His image. Therefore, we're to give Him thanks for who we are. Then He says, we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Now, most of us don't want to be a sheep. I mean, I could have thought of a hundred animals I'd rather be. Stallion sounds good to me. Boy, I'd be, I'm out in the prairie. I'm a stallion. And God says, no, you're a sheep. Have you ever thought about that that name itself was awful, almost demeaning? Think about sheep. Now, Miss Bedra told me one time they used to raise sheep. And she was telling me about sheep. And this is her words. I'm just repeating her. So if she fibbed to you, then blaming her. But she said sheep were so dumb, they would lay down and literally would drown in the pasture because they didn't want to get up. Or didn't get up. That's sheep. They're not very smart. And Jesus says, you are my sheep. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to go there. I started, I started to say something, but I wouldn't go there. He says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We don't want to be sheep. We want to be the shepherd, don't we? We want to run the show. But here's what he's saying to us. You be the sheep. Let me be the shepherd. And I will lead you beside still waters and the green pastures. Just let me lead. That's what God's saying to us. If you'll do it my way, I'll take you to places where you want to go. But we don't do that. We want to lead out and say, God, follow me. And when I get in trouble, you jump in and bail me out. That's not what he wants to do. That's not what he's going to do. Command number five, real quick. Enter his courts with thanksgiving and his courts with uh, and the courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. In the Old Testament, you got to remember, the temple symbolized that's where the presence of God is. That's why they called it the sanctuary. In fact, we still call this room quite often, oh, that's our sanctuary. Yes, it is, but no, it isn't. 
Back in the Old Testament days, that meant where the presence of God dwelt. In that respect, yes, this is a sanctuary. But back in the Old in the Old Testament, it was a place that the average person couldn't go in. There was a great big curtain that divided the walls, divided the two courts, if you would. But yet one day, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross. And at the very moment he died, the Bible tells us that big old curtain that hung in this temple was torn from top to bottom. And they say it was about 70 feet tall. And it was thicker than a man's hand. And all of a sudden that curtain just ripped in half. What is that saying? Jesus took down the divide between us and him. We no longer have to go to somebody and say, would you pray for me? I need to, I need to have God touch my life. We have direct access to God himself right now. Do you realize that this God is still doing all the God work that he does? He's still creating all these great things and all these things that he's, he's taking care of right now. But yet, when you call his name, he stops and listens. You. See, God made you special. God gave you something that is unusual. Every one of us, God gave us the ability to call upon his name. And he stops and listens to what you're saying. That's how much he loves us. He loved us so much that he sent his son to hang on that cross to die for each one of us. God is called the sanctuary now, indicating that God is there. He's here. God's here every service we have. He's here with us, and he's waiting for us to call upon him when we need him. He's here with you as you drive down the highway. He's here with you when you go to work. He's here with you as you care for your children. He's here with you every moment of your life. That's the source of our thanksgiving, folks. But I'm worried about something. What if God began to treat us so often like we treat Him? What if God met our needs to the same extent that we give Him or Him our lives? How would that change things? What if we never saw another flower bloom because we grumbled when God sent rain? What if God stopped loving and caring for us because we failed to love and care for others? What if God took away his message because we wouldn't listen to his message? What if he wouldn't bless us today because we didn't thank him yesterday? What if God answered our prayers the way we answer his call for service? What if God decided to stop leading us tomorrow because we didn't follow him today? Oh, Lord, help us be thankful that you do not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That's Psalms 103, verse 10. I pray that this morning we'll begin to have a tremendous Thanksgiving week with you and your family, you and your friends, whoever's getting together. I pray that you'll have a great Thanksgiving week, Thanksgiving Day especially. I know family comes together and we all overeat and everything else and eat things we shouldn't be eating. And I mean, just, uh, you know, God gave me one weakness. That's cherry cheesecake. And so I feel like since he gave it to me, I might as well eat it. So I just, 
But I pray that you'll have a wonderful Thanksgiving this year. But remember, are we really being thankful? I would suggest something to each one of you. And I thought about it as I, as I was putting this together this week. Take the Psalms 100 and just read it. You can read it between now and Thanksgiving. But wouldn't it be something great to read on Thanksgiving Day that God has given us a special chapter in the Bible about how to be thankful? Are we really? Imagine what it'd be like if God blessed us the way we do things for Him. I don't want to go there. I don't want to find out. Are we thankful people? Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us. As we come to close this service, we ask that you just open our hearts and minds that we'd be receptive to you. Lord, there may be somebody here today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, that would be the greatest decision they'll ever make in their life. And Lord, I pray that this service would not close until each person's had an opportunity. There may be somebody here today that just says, I've just got away from God and I just need to get back. Then he stands open and ready for you. Whatever the need is, we're going to sing in just a moment. And if God's speaking to you, you can come down and use this, these steps as an altar. Our, our deacons will be on each side. You can talk to them. I'll be here. Just whatever the need may be. But don't leave this room without Jesus. You don't know what tomorrow holds. We're all planning on a great Thanksgiving, but there's not a single one in this room that knows for sure they'll be here come Thursday morning. Lord, open our hearts that we'd be thankful to you. And all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.